You're listening to Underestimated, real stories from real women, discussing how they overcame everyday hurdles and rose above. We will not be underestimated. Hi, everyone. I am thrilled to be speaking to Underestimated's next guest today, Jennifer Brazier, who is the CEO and founder of a wildly successful world-class B2B accounting SaaS company called Complete Controller. Jennifer is one of those people that just lights up the room anywhere and everywhere she goes. She's so positive and always seems as if there's nothing that could bring her down. I'm really excited for you all to hear from this amazing woman about how she overcomes challenges and what she does to stay motivated, all the good stuff that you expect to hear on Underestimate It. Jennifer, thank you for taking the time to be here today. How are you? Oh, Crystal, thank you so much. That was just like a fabulous introduction. Oh my God. Uh, I am fine. I'm great. I told you before we started recording that I'm juice fasting right now. So because you're crazy smiley face on and you know, we're just gonna we're gonna run with it and see how things go. Oh, juicing. We we had a good conversation about juicing and I vow to never do it again. Spoken like a true hamburger girl. (laughs) Yes, very much. So I know I just introduced you and gave a little bit of backstory, but there's one thing that I didn't mention, and it is that you just came out with a book, new book, called Cubicle to Cloud. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? That is right. Yes, we just released the book this year in February. Greenleaf Book Group is our publisher, and it's available anywhere books are sold. It's called From Cubicle to Cloud. And I actually authored the book pre-2020. Wow. So, yeah. Isn't it That's weird? Foresight. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. So I, you know, Complete Controller, the the bookkeeping firm that you spoke about in my intro, we've been around for almost 15 years now. And so, and we've always been virtual from day one. You know, we never really had that brick and mortar. We never had anyone coming into work to do the work. The whole point was to create this virtualization. And so, you know, as people have started to move, and especially in the accounting industry, because that's where I'm immersed, started to move toward virtualizing, I thought, well, what am I afraid of? I'm going to share all my secrets and my competitors already know what I'm doing anyway. And they're all colleagues in the market. So why not throw some empowerment out there and have some fun with it? And that's what the book is all about, is just talking about the journey to start the company which I think a lot of people see the success and they don't see the bumps and bruises. So I really get into the nitty gritty about what it looked like in those really early days, those early years even, when you know I had this great idea and I had a proof of concept, but I definitely had some shortcomings that I needed to overcome. And um, I decided to bootstrap it. So of course, I did it the hard way. <laughs> And so a lot of stories about ramen noodles and roommates on the couch and, you know, just (gasps) generally a lot of action going on. (laughs) Oh, it's so exciting. Uh, I actually have it 
in my prep notes, I want to hear the story of ramen noodles and roommates on the couch. Oh my God. Well, you know, it's in a chapter called Bootstrap Boogie because that is truly what it is, right? It's like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. You're really always, if you're bootstrapping, having to remember um, to save your money, reinvest in the business, and with every decision you make, do the cost value analysis. How many dollars is this dollar going to make me if I spend it? And as an entrepreneur and speaking to entrepreneurs, I would like to say the same goes for your time. You know, how are you going to get that return on investment? And sometimes that means that your time is better spent somewhere else and you need to hire someone to do the work that you shouldn't be doing because your time is, you know, very valuable. Other times it means that you need to wear all the hats for a while and only you can decide because you know your business plan. So with Bootstrap Boogie, I talk about how there were so many times when I thought things were going well and we're growing and everything's fabulous. And then something happens. And a couple of those somethings had to do with technology, which are super expensive somethings. And there's nothing you can do when you're a virtual company and the tech goes down or it's no longer going to meet your bandwidth because you're growing so rapidly, which sounds like a fabulous problem, doesn't it? until you have to pay for that new machine right on the tail of paying for a new machine. So there were those types of things going on. And, and one of the things that I had to do first and foremost was sacrifice my own personal uh, gain so that the business could become strong. And I talk in the book about how a lot of entrepreneurs they get out there and you know they've got the McMansion and they've got the kids in the in the private school and they're driving their two little Mercedes and you know what whatever it is they got their boat their recreational vehicle the the dog from the pound you know the whole pretty picture and then they start a business maybe they're in year one or two and you know things are needing to ramp up and perhaps they need to reinvest but the family's used to you bringing home six figures and they can't live on anything less and so what do you do at that point now i say what you do is you sit down and you say listen i think we're going to live if we don't go to private school for a year i think we could bring in a roommate i think we could eat at home instead of going out and getting dressed up fancy I think we can forfeit one of the cars and share a car. You know, every family is different. So what sacrifices you make while you're building your empire are entirely up to you. But I think that it's more important to make those sacrifices and feed that capital into the business so that it can grow up strong and healthy rather than growing warped because you've pulled too much out of it and then trying to overcome that warping. It just doesn't work. But if you grow it up strong and healthy, it's going to support you for years to come. You just got to make those sacrifices for a little bit. That's right. It's like a baby, right? You have to feed it. You have to raise it up. You have to spend time with it. You have to nurture it and, and discipline it. And you have to be there for every stage so that it can grow up. And eventually when they're adults, they can buy a condo, you know, in the South of France and let you live in it when you retire. 
And um, you then as an adult have done your job raising that baby. <laughs> and the baby takes care of you and yes. you just hang out. <laughs> yes. Now I have three girls. So when I started my business, I was like, mom with three girls driving out to go serve people, getting really sick of that gig, right? Because I'm not getting paid to go drive somewhere. I'm getting paid once I'm there. But then mm -hmm. always like inevitably there's a kid at home that has a doctor's appointment or needs help with something or has a show that night or, you know, whatever. And I just always felt like I was getting stretched between these things that I really wanted to do and this career that I really wanted to do. And it was never felt right at any given moment. And I think that that really was the impetus that pushed me toward grabbing this opportunity to start a virtual firm the moment the opportunity presented itself. One of the things from our conversations a couple of weeks ago that really stuck home with me was when you had this idea and you developed it and you were the first one doing it and it was a little scary. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things you do when you start a business is you do a little bit of a competitive analysis, right? And you get out there and you see what other people are doing and whether they've done it well and whether you want to do the same thing or position yourself differently, or maybe you throw your idea away because you didn't realize other people were doing it. But um, when I started mine, there weren't a whole lot of people doing it. So there's always this question in your mind, like, uh, have I missed something? <laughs> like, you know, is this like, is it going to work? Or, you know, maybe, maybe I'm too far ahead of the time or, you know, what's, what's, what's up. And, you know, I knew it was going to work eventually because I had proved the concept and I had brought some clients in and we were working and it was working well and it was profitable. And so there was that, right. But I think that the hardest thing was like educating the rest of the public on, you know, this is okay. It's actually safe. It's actually even safer than what you're doing where you have a bookkeeper come in and just give her the reins and let her handle everything for you, you know? And so educating the public became a big part of, you know, the sales process, but as an entrepreneur, the thing that became really clear to me is that I needed to start trusting myself. I needed to start listening to that gut, that gut that probably being a mom really helped me to develop where I knew when something was wrong and rather than ignoring it, you hone in on it. You find out what it is. You fix it. You talk about it. You communicate, right? Um, and I knew when something was really right, even if everyone else wasn't doing it. I knew if it felt right. I knew how to test the waters. And so I just needed to follow those instincts. And even though it didn't look like it was this great, you know, sexy thing, I was going to do it because I knew that we were onto something here. And sure enough. That's such a powerful statement. I think uh, you told that to me a couple of weeks ago, and it really resonated with me because I think in my current career, there's so many times if something goes wrong, I question everything and I look at everything around me and I um, reflect inwards as well. I'm like, well, what could I have done better? And I think I do that almost to a fault. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> to where it, it hinders me, it hinders my confidence. 
and it prevents me from moving forward with like something that I know is right. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I take more time to figure out like why it's right and prove that it's right, which is, I, I want to say that it's definitely important to prove why you move forward when something is right. But I think I questioned myself too much. And there was, there's a lot of times when I don't follow my gut. And so I was, it just really got me so excited. Well, <laughs> you said, you know, and, and you said something just now, you said, you know, sometimes I'll question myself, even though I know it's right. And it's that knowing that you need to be listening to. And so I talk also in the book about how, you know, you have to create a vision. This is what my business is going to look like. This is what it's going to deliver, right? It's not the how, it's the what. What is it? What is your business, right? And then you have to stick to that vision as you're developing the processes, as you're bouncing the ideas off of other people, as you're interacting with customers, as you're interacting with staff members. Because if you always bring it back to the vision, then the only question you have to ask yourself is, am I being true to the vision? Am I fulfilling the what I'm going to be, right? And if you are, then you keep moving forward. But if you're not, then you need to change something. Maybe you need to innovate. You need to tweak it. One of the things that small businesses have an advantage over large businesses with is being able to be nimble, being able to be quick, right? So we can change swiftly according with the tides of, you know, our customers, our staff members and the market as a whole. So since we can be nimble, I mean, look at how survivable we were in 2020 when we just got hit with this totally unexpected thing. We actually leapfrogged virtualization by like five years. We we totally just went in a different direction. We We shifted and we changed processes and we made it work so that business could keep happening. How cool is that? Yeah. Did anyone know what Zoom was before? I know. Or, or if they even should use it or what products are out there and which ones are better and et cetera. Did anyone know Google Meet had or Google had a conferencing, right. video conferencing? Oh, that was definitely one. So by the way, I have to tell you, this is so embarrassing, but I was thinking Google Meet was like when you meet up with people and do things. So yeah. obviously that's something else because it's not, yeah, it, one of the learnings of the pandemic is that it's not that. <laughs> nope, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the interesting things was also all of the new technology. Like I know a couple of businesses that shifted their entire business strategy um, because of the pandemic and businesses that had a lot of in-person events, a lot of like things that required them to be in person that are they're now just completely virtual and um my boyfriend, for example, works for a company where he's an engineer and he had to build out a completely new, he's a software engineer product mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a hundred percent virtual. So it was, it was fun to see him spend hours and hours and hours and the company shifting and just bear witness to that huge shift and them thrive from it as well. Right. And a lot of these businesses that did innovate during 2020 will hold on to those innovations and continue down that path. Not that that will be the only path. Now we have two paths, right? So we'll have that brick and mortar experience. We're going to have that hands-on, the boutique touchy-feely, but now this is going to become this boutique, more exceptional thing. 
And mm-hmm. there's this other path that is the faster delivery, the quick setup, and the ability to touch a much broader market that will stay. And it's actually quite a bit more profitable. So we'll tend to have lower prices, (laughs) I anticipate, in the future. So you're going to pay a little bit more to go into the store and touch and feel and have someone customize that experience and have that boutique experience. And you're going to pay a little bit less and have it be quicker by doing it all virtually. But that's a choice the consumer will be able to make. And now the business has given them one more choice, which Hey, people like choices, right? We right. like to pick right. and we're willing to pay to pick. I really enjoy not leaving my house. I don't know why. <laughs> it's so I, dangerous, isn't it? Because next uh, thing you know, you're like, I, I found myself looking for a Randac chairs on Amazon the other day. And I can too. buy those at Lowe's like two blocks away. But I didn't. Did you? Did I get in my car? No. My first instinct was to look and see if it could be delivered to me. So the market is shifting with all of these new tools being out there. We've decided that we like some of them. Mm-hmm. I uh, I actually in February or March did the same thing with Adirondack chairs <laughs> and I bought them from Amazon. Oh, no. <laughs> I did. Yes. Um, well, you- if you want to know about the quality. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing. You can't touch and feel it. And eventually, I think what's going to happen is it's going to cost more if you go down and you touch and feel it. But that's okay because it'll be worth it for you because you'll be able to have that experience. Same thing with the groceries. If I want someone else to pick them for me and stick them in a bag and bring them to my front porch, that's great. But I didn't get to pick out my own tomatoes. And I'm not sure I'm going to like those ones, you know. So just a different experience, but an alternate experience. And it's going to stick around. I don't think it's going anywhere, you know. And another sign of just small businesses being nimble and being able to um, adjust with whatever market pressures happen. I think that um, another thing that we're going to see is because of the pandemic, we've had this huge growth in the gig worker economy, 1099 contractors, people working from home. And we have this shift that is starting to happen where people are not wanting to necessarily be employees and be locked into a traditional employment contract and be locked into traditional employee benefits. They're looking for alternatives. They're looking speaking my language. (laughs) (laughs) They're looking for opportunities to work for employers that will allow them to be 1099 workers, will allow them to um, work for other like employers that will let them um, blossom and use their skills how they desire, and also will offer them perks, uh, if not traditional benefits, we'll call them perks that actually are meaningful to them. So, hey, let's say you have health insurance through your husband. Well, you you don't care about health insurance. So then an employer offering you health insurance is like, okay, well, that's great. Thanks. You know, too bad you're crediting that as a benefit and giving me lower comp because of it, because I don't care about health insurance, but that's the traditional model. What if your employer said, listen, you can be a 1099 worker we will offer perks, put them in an account for you, and you can use them for anything you want to buy. You can buy pet insurance. You could buy auto insurance. You can buy health and wellness. care. You could get buy a Peloton. life insurance. Sure. 
(laughs) Why not? Right? Like, why can't we pick? Why does the employer have to dictate it? And why are we being told as employers that we have to, you have to dictate it? Why? Because our employees don't know any better. They don't know how to take care of themselves. They don't know how to make their own choices. I think we're going to see a lot of shifts in these areas. And we already are too. It's interesting to watch all the articles um, come out of the one changes as people are shifting to work from home back into the office. Um, There's a couple of companies that did like full two weeks, the like shut down the company. (laughs) For their entire staff, because they found that their staff, even when they were going on vacation, wasn't actually taking vacation. Wow. They would be plugged in still. I I don't think that's definitely feasible for any business, but it's just interesting to see all these huge companies take different different risks or try different things Mm -hmm. uh, to stay connected with their employees and keep them happy. Well, they better. Yeah, because there are so many more options out there now and and a lot of them where you don't have to leave your house or you can work from anywhere in the world, you know, so why wouldn't you? There was definitely a time that moving to Puerto Rico at the beginning of quarantine um, wasn't a serious idea, but it was an idea. <laughs> and it sure sounds good. Right. <laughs> I'm not getting quarantine anymore. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, let's there. just turn this into a vacation. Yeah. Stranded on a beach. <laughs> Why not? You know, and and the truth be told, um, if your employer isn't controlling where you work and when you work, but instead it becomes a work product delivery relationship. So you have that 1099 type of relationship. It's, it's better for the employer because they're not paying for things that you don't value. And it's better for the employee because they have the flexibility to work from Costa Rica if they want to, and no one can mess with that. It's not up to them to decide. So I think it's very cool. And, and I think that the creativity and the imagination is really, you know, coming out and, and with this new generation that's coming up now, they're just like, Hey, we never knew it any other way. And I really think they're going to blow our socks off. I'm excited to see what they do. Um, I think that this is just going to be a whole new era. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see, uh, what future historians write about this this time period. Well, also with technology, it just seems that how quickly everything is changing so frequently, they're going to have to like, I wonder. What I feel like every it. two years is going to be another yes. <laughs> huge, yes. huge um, error that they're going to have to write about. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about if you have a particular story from starting up your business or one of those, like you said, you needed a a big machine at one point um, with the software, like what is a story of something that was really challenging and starting your business or running your business, or maybe just in life in general, managing starting a business with your girls um, that you had to overcome and how'd you get through it? Well, I actually want to tell you a story that happened long before I started my business, but it helped me with the very thing that I think is most important that we've talked about, which is listening to your gut and knowing that deep down inside, you really know what's right. You know what's right for your kids, just like you know what's right for your business. So when I was 19, I had my first baby girl. And, um, and right after she was born, just several hours later, she, um, had a seizure and she had to go into intensive care. 
And after 14 days of being in the ICU, they finally let us bring her home. And she came home, she's still a little bit jaundice, and she spent the first four months of her life just being the best baby, but she was continuing to have jaundice. Um, she would throw up her formula. She um, was just having troubles. And, um, you know, you're due to go in every month and get their shots and have them go see a pediatrician. And she had a pediatrician and and we would go in and she'd check her out. And, and then, you know, a whole month goes by in between. And, um, and during this period, uh, she was, you know, generally not doing great, but she was okay. Like, you know, her blood pressure would be fine. Her temperature's fine. She's not like sick, sick, or she's not recovering. She's just kind of sick. Um, but lots of little indicators. And then she started a couple of times having a seizure. And, uh, and I called 911 and they'd come and they'd take her to the, the emergency room and we'd spend hours there and, you know, they do hook her up to the, the EEG and, and nothing. They're just like, oh, well, it must've been a temperature seizure where, you know, her, maybe her body temperature got high and then it got low all of a sudden or something like that. And, or maybe it was part of the reflex and she wasn't actually seizing. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of that. I know. Right. And so, um, this goes on. And of course I'm calling the pediatrician and I'm going, you know, there's just something wrong. There is something wrong and I don't know what it is. And she's like, no, no, no. You're overreacting. She's fine. She's a healthy baby. I'm going to see you in a month. Don't worry about it. We're going to, anything we see, we can catch it. And so another appointment goes by and she's fine. So finally, I had enough. And mind you, I'm very, very young. And this is my first child. And I don't know what I'm doing. But there's something inside of me that says there is something very wrong. And so I remember I was still young enough to still be on my dad's Cobra. And my husband didn't have insurance at the time. So we were very grateful to have that Cobra coverage. And um, so I was looking through the booklets and I decided because she was having the vomiting and, you know, these types of symptoms, I thought, you know what, let's, let's look into gastroenterology. So I found a doctor that was nearby and I brought her to see him. And um, he was one of these doctors that worked out of a renovated old kind of cottage looking house and old town orange and um, just really down to earth. And I walked in and I was actually the last appointment of the day and he had fit me in even though his front desk was going home um, because of the nature of my call. And so I brought Sarah in and she's, you know, four months old. And, um, and so he asked me, you know, what can I do for you today? Um, and I just broke down and I just said, you have to help me because no one will listen. And I know that there's something wrong with my baby. And she took a look, he took a look at her and he listened to the symptoms and, and he said, you know, I agree with you. I think that there's something more going on here. And so I want you to take her down the street to Children's Hospital of Orange County. It is a, um, it's, it's a teaching hospital. Um, I, you know, can admit there. I am going to call ahead and let them know you're coming. And I'm going to admit Sarah 
And my promise to you is that I am not going to let her leave that hospital until we know exactly what is wrong with her. And we got Sarah in the hospital and, um, and it took them a while. They had endocrinology, they had neurology, they had pulmonary, they had, or they had, uh, gastroenterology, his, his specialty. They had them all doing the, all these tests on this baby. What is wrong with her? What's going on? All these varietal symptoms that didn't match, you know, seizures and vomiting and jaundice and a, a cold, a cough cold that won't go away. And, you know, it seemed like she was immunocompromised, but no cancer, no, no problems like that. So they're doing all these tests. Well, the cool thing is, is that they took all their tests and they went down into the cafeteria one afternoon all of them presented their, their outcomes together in the same room. And on that day, it just so happened that one of the attending physicians had a colleague from Children's Hospital of Los Angeles that was down just visiting and they were going to have lunch together. And before lunch was this big meeting. And so he sat in on it, you know, and he, he was able to hear everything that was going on. And, and, you know, he just, he, he perked up and he said, you're not going to believe this, but I have seen this before. One wow. other time in my career up at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, and I think I know what's going on with this kiddo. And um, they had to do a test to find out for sure. And it was a scary test because they said, we're going to have to lower her blood sugar to the point where her adrenal glands would normally kick in to save her life and see if they kick in, which wow. means that it may go low enough to where she could go into a coma. She could have a seizure, but I mean, what are you going to do? You have to find out. Mm -hmm. And, um, and they did the, they did the test and it turns out that she has a very, very rare genetic syndrome called Dumoisier syndrome and, um, virtually impossible to diagnose because there are so many different facets to it and affects the adre adrenal glands. And once they got her on all the right hormones and man, she just thrived. But one of the symptoms is that it affects the optic nerve. And so uh, she is legally blind and she has a guide dog. And, um, but you know what that story taught me is that even back at 19, <laughs> I knew when something was wrong. And all it took was for me to have the guts to speak up and make sure that somebody did something about it. And I'll tell you, there are so many business owners that they get their business up and running and they're doing everything themselves. And then they start to delegate and they know something's wrong. They know somebody's not doing a good job or, or maybe they're lying about their hours or they're not representing the brand properly or, you know, something, something's off, you know, why, why is this happening? And they don't do anything about it or they ignore the gut because that person they hired has the pedigree. They know what they're doing, right? Or maybe that person they hired knows somebody on the board. And they're connected and, you know, I can't get rid of them because what if I lose my funding, you know, or, or, you know, for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. Maybe it's your cousin and, and you don't want to hurt her feelings, but with your business, just as with your children, if you don't notice that gut and listen to it 
and be willing to do something about it, even though everyone is telling you that you are wrong, then you will not survive. And that's why I think that entrepreneurs need to have that measure of toughness because in the face of everyone saying that they don't see it, we need to be able to say, we see it. And this is what we're going to do. My listeners are really going to appreciate that. And I honestly think you should be a motivational speaker. <laughs> well, I actually have a speaker kit. I'm happy to, um, to share with anyone. And, and I'll tell you, um, one of the reasons why I wrote the book and one of the things that I, I want all of the listeners who are entrepreneurs that have that measure of success, you've gotten there, right? You, you not only proved the model, but you've reinvested in your business. You've overcome the competition. You've grown faster than the bugs can eat you is how I put it, you know, and <laughs> now you're blossoming. Now, what do you do? Like make it bigger. Okay. Yeah, you could do that. Um, do you go start something else? Maybe. But we get to that place where we kind of plateau. And those of us that are there know what I'm talking about, where you're like, okay, I'm there, you know, and I can do this over and over and over, or I could do something different, but what? And what I would encourage you to do is give back, take that wisdom, take that knowledge and those experiences. And whether it's like I did and write a book or it is through mentorship, give it back because there are other people out there that need it. They need to hear that exact thing at that moment that you're saying it. And you never know, like, that's why it's so cool to do this with you, Crystal, because you never know who's going to listen and who's going to say, oh my God, that's right. I'm doing it. And they're going to get the power from knowing that someone else who went before them did that and it did work and it is right. And you go for it you know? So find a way to give back, even if it's teaching, you know, a high schooler how to balance a checkbook, like anything, there's always ways to give back. Which I can't believe they don't teach in high school already. I (laughs) I mean, no, I don't really use a checkbook. (laughs) Well, but they, I mean, they could know so much more, like how to use credit. Right. Like, a basic finance course, like yes, money teaching, management. Yes. They're teaching them economics or even they have like these, these great things where they could like start a fake business and you know, all of this, which I think is great for entrepreneurialism. Oh, yeah. But like, if you don't know the basics, like how to leverage your credit, when to, when not to, how much of my income should be my rent, you know, the basic things like that. How are you ever going to get past college? Yeah. I, I think uh, kids need to learn how to survive on their own before they <laughs> learn any of that other great stuff. Yes. Yes. Or you, uh, what happens is, yes, you survive college, of course, but then mm-hmm. you're just like thrown to the wolves. You don't know. Mm-hmm. So you wind up like graduating from college. You've got all this debt. Probably you took Discover up on their offer to give you credit. I hate that Discover card says it should be illegal students. for them to. <laughs> I know our poor students. You know, do not do not put your anything on a Discover card or any card. Like just don't, don't get a card. card. You know, like you live off of the money you have, <laughs> and use roommates and ramen noodles to get by. You're probably eating ramen noodles anyway. 
you know. Yeah, you probably love it because it's delicious. I know. They taste so good, especially when you're in your 20s. So, do you know, stick oh, yeah. with that and then get a couple of roommates and make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I couldn't believe that credit card companies were sending me things mm-hmm. in college. To, I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. Do you know what my kid income's like? Do you know that I'm going into debt as we speak with yeah. <laughs> student loans and you want to give me more debt? It's so scary, isn't it? It is so scary. And then also about investment, you know, because okay. you get that first job and you know your employer offers a 401k, but what do you do? What do you do with what it? What percentage do you put like, in? What, like, what can you love? Yeah. <laughs> How much do I put in it? What 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 do you do? And so hoping that you like maintained your credit, if you yeah. can also invest in a 401k and live at, you know, only spending one third of your income on your rent so that you can save another third, you might actually be able to buy real estate, which is the best investment out there. But you can never do any of those things until at least your mid thirties these days, because they don't teach you all of those fundamentals that you need. It's scary. It is. It is. Um, that should be your next book. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you though, writing a book is like giving birth. It was tough. You write it. I can imagine. Oh my God. So I had Liz gold helped me and that's why her name is on the cover because I didn't know the first thing about writing a book, but I knew I wanted to get the story out there. And so she actually went through and kind of pulled the story out of me and then got it on paper. And then we were able to, you know, move things around and make it compelling. And then we went out and and shopped publishers. And that's when Greenleaf picked us up. And then, of course, they rearranged everything uh, in the, yeah. You got to have a publisher because they they make it all sing and sprinkle their fairy dust on it. Was that hard? A hard process to go through? Like this is your baby, and then then you're like, this is great, this is amazing, and then they're like changing it. And yeah, well, what they should be doing is making it better. But <laughs> is it hard? You know, it was really good. It was humbling. It was humbling, but it was good because I knew I didn't know what I was doing, and I really wanted somebody who was going to be bold enough to tell me, hey you don't know what you're doing. And we really think it would be better this way. And they were so good to work with because they walked me through the process step by step. And so the first editor is the one that basically takes all of your goodies and just rearranges them. And they're the one that kind of draws the thread through the story and makes it make sense, whether it's a chronological order or it's a step-by-step thing or, you know, whatever it is. And then, um, and then the next editor, like, make sure that you're not repeating yourself all over the place and that it flows and that you're using the right person or you're being consistent about, you know, using the right person and not using the same examples and et cetera, et cetera. And then the final one is like, did you cross your T and dot your I type of thing, you know? So it's gnarly. But by the time you're through it, you're so sick of your book. You don't care if you ever see it again. And then is when you have to read for your audiobook if you self-read, which I did, yeah. which is great because then you get- Well, you have the book. perfect voice for it. And- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the author royalties are kind of cool too, because at first a book can take a second to get going. And, um, it's kind of fun when people pull it down on audible and you get, you know, it's minimal couple dollars or something, but it's, 
Mm -hmm. That's nice. (laughs) Yeah, that is uh, some just basic cash flow coming in. Exactly. (laughs) A little bread and butter. (laughs) Yeah, you did the work. And, you know, if you are able to promote it long term, then you just keep reaping the rewards. Absolutely. And in this day and age, a lot of people are just listening to books or at least reading them in digital format. So, you know, you kind of do that hard copy run and you make a big deal out of it. And then Mm -hmm. really that's where we want to focus on, you know, marketing and distribution because distributing hardback books is really expensive and pricey. Yeah. Not a lot of people buy them anyway. Um, But (laughs) the cool thing that we're doing now is because, you know, with complete controller and seeing, you know, having served small businesses for so many years and being such a a proponent of entrepreneurial empowerment, um, I want our young students to learn about financial literacy and how to deliver things virtually within professional services virtually. And so we are sending out thousands of copies of the book to professors within the accounting schools and the business schools all across the nation. So we're hoping that, you know, that will trickle down to their students. They'll have them, you know, get the digital book or whatever, um, or that anything that's in there will trickle down and they'll learn some, some new tricks. Oh, that's so cool. Um, that's such a, so was that your publisher that decided or brought that up or was that one of your brilliant ideas? (laughs) So no, it was actually a colleague of mine. Um, our director drew dear love. He is the guy who, who came up with that. He's always kind of got that idea that nobody else has that everyone's like, Oh wait, nah, that is not. Oh, actually that might work. That comes out of the blue. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second. where have you been now? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and I think it's because he's not coming from this place of like, you know, traditional business. He's just like, Hey, why wouldn't we do this? And, yeah, it's got some great ideas. So definitely. Um, I have two more questions. The first one is the days, because we all have days where we find it hard to get out of bed in the morning, or it's just like a daunting day. What's a ritual or something or a thought process or something you do to get you out of bed in the morning or motivate yourself to complete a task or when you're feeling really down just keeps you going? So a friend of mine told me one time, she said, Yeah, you can get in bed and pull up the covers and go back to sleep. But then you have to get out. (laughs) I'm like, oh. You just got to. You know, you just have to. You just, you know, you can play your, your, you know, self-pity song for as long as you feel like you need to. But then you need to get up and be done with it. You know, there has to be an end point. And um, the truth is nothing lasts forever. You know, so you're having a bad day. If you push through, there's going to be a good day on the other side. What I do every morning, though, is I make a point of getting my coffee and getting my dog and going outside before I do anything else. And I sit and I drink my coffee and whatever's going on out there is going on out there. Sometimes it's icy cold. Sometimes the birds are chirping. Sometimes the mosquitoes are biting. It doesn't matter. It's just that step of giving myself a little bit of time to think about what the day is going to look like and just get into that space where 
I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to start. Because before I started doing this, I would roll out of bed and grab my phone off of the wire and run into the bathroom and I'm brushing my teeth and I'm already scrolling through my phone. What have I missed? What do I, what do I need to do today? And you know, it just gets me into this place where it's just, it's too crazy. And I'm too worried about checking the boxes and getting the stuff done to really listen to the gut, to really get into that space. And it's in that space, that creative space where I have some of my best ideas. So I just encourage listeners to just take that quiet time for yourself, whatever it looks like, and um, ease into it if you need to. You know, some are, my husband is the type that like the second he's awake, he's talking and he's got questions and he wants to do this. And are we going to do that? And oh my God. And me, I'm no. just like, you know, I really need you to go to the gym. <laughs> you need to get that energy away yeah. from me for a minute. <laughs> I need to have my coffee and throw the ball for the dog. And then I'm happy to talk to you about any of your wildest dreams. <laughs> Just give me, I, I usually need an hour and a half before anybody says anything to me. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, and um, I have a colleague that calls exactly what you described, throwing the ball, sitting outside, having your coffee. She calls it her balcony time because oh, her coffee out on her balcony. I love that. Uh, I do all of my brainstorming. I take incredibly long showers in the mornings, like any other part of the day. I am not, a, it doesn't take, but that is where I'm just like, nobody can talk to me right, right. now. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody needs anything from me. I can't do anything. I could just be. <laughs> yes. It's your alone time. It's that time when you get to get connected with you because you have to connect yep. with you first. Don't you think before you can be effective going out there and connecting with others I feel like one of the most important things that I've learned, and of course, another wise woman told me this, is that you have to fill your cup up first before you can fill others. You know, if you're not full, you're not going to have anything to give them. And it's so true because sometimes I think it's a distraction. We like to just distract ourselves by helping other people or focusing on their problems or listening to their stories. And, and what we're not doing is, is taking that moment to go, hey, what's going on with me? Especially as women and mothers that are responsible for so many other things um, in the roles that we play in society. Yes. Giving is a, a huge part. So the last, this is the fun part of the episode is brainstorming. Um, so I told you a couple of weeks ago when we talked that my podcast is centered, is used to inspire a children's book series that I'm working on to inspire young yes. girls in different career paths or just different lifestyles, just something that gets them out of the traditional roles that they seem to only hear about. Right. And so there's two main characters. There's Ruthie. Her, She's a namesake from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's always a fan of her. And so that's <laughs> Ruthie's name. And then Chloe is Ruthie's dog. And Chloe is my dog's name. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so very uh brought a lot of me into that so they go on all these wild goose chases and adventures and all of them are always wrapped up in bright colorful images for probably somebody around eight years old mm -hmm. and uh there's always a lesson wrapped in 
would love for you to join in if you have any great ideas. But first, what I am thinking um, is Ruthie and Chloe are out in the park and they're playing with a bunch of friends and then they keep hearing like a meow or some other noise. And Ruthie says, oh, I think, does anybody hear that? And then yeah. everyone's like, no, 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 we don't hear it. We don't hear it. So she keeps hearing it. They end up leaving and they go home and then they come back the next day and she hears it again. And then I think uh, at the end of the story, she finds like a kitten in the tree mm-hmm. or some of some sort that um, she finally like listens to her gut mm-hmm. and goes and checks it out and investigates and uh, saves a kitten. Yay. I love that. That is so good. Cool. It'll be fun. Yeah. <sighs> it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'll brainstorm a little bit more and make it a little quirky. Yeah. Like quirky kid stories. No, I love that. <laughs> I love that. And I'd like the kitten to be like stuck somewhere, maybe not in a tree, maybe in like yeah, a drain, that is a like in a little drain or something. I know my Raffles, my sweet dog, she's always uh-huh. afraid when she walks past the drains on the street <sighs> where, where the leaves go down because they're kind of big enough to suck a yeah. little kitty in and then they'd get yeah. stuck down there and nobody would be able to find them unless somebody actually looked for them. And she always avoids them. She's hilarious. She's like, I'll be like, what are you doing raffles? And sure enough, there's a drain and she's trying to like circumvent Like, it. nope. Yeah. <laughs> We're not doing that. We don't do metal grates either. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe doesn't do metal grates. She's uh, it's like, pulling like this is the only way we can go yes there's a, you have to go through it there's a metal bridge on a, a walking path that we love to take and she will not take the bridge she literally goes down through the boulders in the creek because oh wow yeah no way <laughs> well and maybe that's um maybe that's where the question comes into play is instead of like oh does anybody hear that no maybe it's they're all looking for the kitten that they hear and they're all looking in the typical places. Mm-hmm. And then Ruthie's like, I really think it's coming from over here. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're crazy. You're crazy. Yeah. You're crazy. How and then she finds them there, and- whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And an odd bud spot. And, oh, it's kind of like a investigative. <laughs> yes. But now. Yes. That's going to be actually really fun to read. It's going to be a little mystery. Oh yeah. It's going to be fun. Um, well, thank you for coming on. I just, I love everything you have to say. You're so inspirational and so motivational. I can't wait till I, I, I'm putting bets that you'll be a motivational speaker one day. Thank you so much, Crystal. That's really (laughs) sweet. And I just love sharing it. So anytime that you need anything at all, you just let me know. I love what you're doing. And I can't. Thank you. It's a a passion project. I really enjoy it. Um, and, And I think it's. It's something that comes from a lot of love from having nieces and nephews and mm-hmm. one day children of my own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are an empowerer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal. I love it. Uh, I can't wait to get from cubicle to cloud and read all about the story. And uh, all of you underestimated listeners, go check it out. Where can they get it? Anywhere books are sold. Anywhere. Target, Ooh. Barnes and Noble, Kindle, Amazon, you know, anywhere. So just look it up and you'll find it for sure. And if uh, you want to interact with me at all, you have any questions, you um, need some mentorship, you want to do the pen to paper, um, which is on my website at jenniferbrazer.com. So check it out. We'll actually send you the first chapter. And then at the end of each chapter is this thing that I call pen to paper, because I'm all about 
okay, now you have the knowledge. Now let's take some action, right? How do we practically apply this to what's going on in your business or your life today? And if you do the pen to paper, then you should submit it because oftentimes we'll pick them and we'll do a little webinar or we'll do a call together and um, it can be really fun. And I've heard some really neat concepts in the pen to paper. So they're fun for me too. I think that's so great. Um, there's so many times that I make it through a, a self-help book or motivational book and I don't take any action from it. So I think that's definitely a good yep. additive. Get busy. I can't wait for my listeners to hear this episode. So that is everything from Jennifer Frazier from Complete Controller, author from Cubicle to Cloud. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Underestimated Stories for Women. If you enjoy my podcast, please follow me on iTunes, Spotify, or Clips so you can hear my next story. This podcast is sponsored by Clips. Discover podcast highlights of your favorite shows at www.clip.ps.